working nine to five. So the song goes. Or does it? New movements don't want to live to work anymore. While others simply are getting tired of poor culture and stress at the workplaces. I woke up with a dark cloud. Oh, shit place to be. I hate my fucking job. Someone also speaks about COVID clarity and wants to do more meaningful work. Put in other words, the great resignation is upon us. 2020, we saw massive layoffs, but in 2021, the tides turned. The great resignation forced companies to reevaluate how they retain talent as more than 4 million workers quit their jobs. As we enter 2022, economists say they expect workers to continue to look elsewhere. In the last months, a record-breaking number of Americans have quit their jobs. More than millions, in fact. And we can see the same trend in the Nordic countries, where in Denmark, for example, the employee turnover number has never been higher. And it is hard to recruit the right people because employees today have so many choices. There are more than 10 million job openings in the U.S. and many employers are offering increased pay and benefits to attract workers. The table has turned. The employers do not have the ultimate power no more. And maybe this is a good thing to make the employer step up and make us happier in the end. But what can companies and organizations actually do to keep us, the employees, and prevent us from pursuing other, maybe even more rewarding, possibilities? Welcome to Work 3.0 by Learning Bank, a podcast about our future workplace where we will dig deep into the trends and give you valuable tips to create the best workdays. My name is Sissel Kognarko and I'll be your host today. Today, I've been joined by a very special guest, Ben Zweig, who is CEO at Revelio Labs and adjunct professor at NYU Stern School of Business. So welcome to you, Ben. Thank you. Really happy to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you so much. It's so nice to have you here. And uh, the reason why I asked you to join me today is because we will talk about the reasons for the great resignation and how to prevent it from escalating. As a start, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. So, so let's see. So, I'm. Uh, so, I started this company, Revelio Labs, back in late 2018. And really, the idea behind Revelio Labs is to provide a comprehensive workforce intelligence platform. So, we're essentially gathering data from public sources. You know, those are online profiles, job postings. Um, Glassdoor reviews, things like that, uh, immigration filings, layoff notices, anything and everything that's out there, and trying to construct what we think of as a universal HR database. So, so you know, every company's got their own internal HR data, and um, but you know, they they have a very hard time seeing what's happening at other organizations. So once we we sort of approximate their their HR data from public sources, it becomes possible to answer some really interesting questions. So that's that's kind of what we've done at Revelio Labs. And before that, I was I was uh, managing a workforce analytics team at IBM. And uh, before that was, you know, an academic labor economist. So, uh, and and I still do that. I still I still teach, um, yes. yeah, classes in the future of work and data science at NYU. Yes. But yeah, I'm still, you know, they're they're all very related. So so, um, you know, I've been been analyzing workforce data for a long time. 
Yes. And one of the analysis that you have done is that you have analyzed more than 34 million online employee profiles to identify U.S. workers who left their employer for any reason between April and September in 2021. So let's start with some of your findings about the attrition rates across industries, because do some industries have higher attrition rates or burnout rates, so to speak, than uh, than others? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just a little bit about the data. So so this this is coming from online profiles. Yes. So if you if you picture like a LinkedIn profile or something from Zing or Jobcase or something like that, um, you know, you have basically a resume. So you have uh, people's job titles, their company, their start date, their end date. So if you analyze these end dates, you can get a sense for the rate at which people are leaving their organization. So so there's actually 700 million profiles. Okay. Um, and about like 1.3 billion positions, but we just analyzed positions um, in the U.S. for Fortune 500 companies. So that's just about 34 million, and we did this this uh, this research in collaboration with um, this company CultureX, um, which is founded by by Don Sol and Charlie Sol, um, who are who are faculty out of MIT, and they they had elements of cultural data that they derived from Glassdoor reviews. So basically, this was a, a joint effort to take a look at attrition data that, that we had and um, and cultural elements, which which they put together. Actually, before we even get to the cultural elements, I just want to talk a little yes, bit about we'll, the we'll attrition get to that. We'll yeah. get to that, but, uh, but let's uh, zoom in on the industries. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So, so attrition rates are very different across industries. So sometimes that could be um, a compositional effect. So it could be that some industries attract younger workers who typically um, leave at faster rates. They they are more mobile in their in their career. So you know industries like tech are are always going to have higher attrition rates um, and more kind of old school industries if you want to think about it that way have lower attrition rates. Okay. What what could that be, old school industries? Uh, I want to say like airlines or um, healthcare, industrials, like consumer goods companies. Okay. Um, telecom. Yeah. And then the, the ones with the higher attrition rates are things like management consulting, mm-hmm. where attrition is really, in some ways, a strategy. Like when... Um, you know, when McKinsey outplaces its uh, its employees, they become their new set of clients. Um, IT companies, uh, SaaS companies, um, anything with a big R and D component, typically has high rates of employee churn. And can you maybe elaborate a bit on why some attrition rates are higher than others? Now you mentioned tech, uh, because. I remember I saw something quite interesting in uh, in your analysis because some um, in some industries they have a lot of innovation then the attrition rates also often were higher but are there other reasons for that the attrition rates are are that high So let's see um I mean certainly certainly the age component is is notable Yes another thing that I think of, and this is this is conjecture, so take it with a grain of salt. But um, but I think I think at these companies where they're trying to be innovative, they're trying to um, they're trying to find people with with different opinions, different perspectives, different takes on on some element of research. And 
part of that is just going through lots of people. So, so, you know, having the same, you know, the same group of people work on a new problem is very difficult because, you know, they, they might not see perspectives that a new person would see right away. So, so I think there's, you know, you get more diversity of thought, um, when you have higher turnover of employees. So, so one, one interesting thing to note is that companies with high attrition rates also typically have higher hiring rates. And that's not just because they're backfilling. Um, even, even when companies are growing rapidly, um, they, they have high rates of hiring and attrition, but the hiring rates are much greater than the attrition rates. Okay. So attrition and hiring rates are actually quite correlated, even when you do control for things like backfilling. Cool. And uh, do attrition rates differ within industries as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of an industry is a little bit of a, of a weird topic because, you know, you have, you have, let's say the automotive industry and that's got companies like GM and Ford, but it also has companies like Tesla, which is an entirely different type of company. Yes. And technically they're in the same industry. You know, technically Amazon is in the business of, I don't know what it gets classified as, but some something like consumer goods, which is very different from from its style. So we have a lot of companies these days which are sort of on the border between a few different industries, and categorizing them to one industry is a little bit of a of a false discretization. Um, you know, the industry that a company's in is actually more of a multi dimensional concept. So, so you do have a lot of heterogeneity within industries, but even despite that, even if that weren't an issue, you still would have very different workforce strategies between similar industries. Sure. So we did an analysis recently on the banking industry where for the most part, companies are pretty similar in, in what they offer. You know, you don't have this phenomenon like Tesla or, or Amazon, but, um, but you do see very different workforce strategies. So they have different cultures, they have different styles and, and, and very often someone's workforce strategy is, is determined by a pretty small group of influential, uh, people within the organization that determine how they hire, um, how they promote, um, what opportunities there are to, for people to move around within the organization. And those lead to very different, um, very different rates of attrition and dissatisfaction. And what else stood out in your analysis before we dig a little bit more into the major reasons for, for people leaving their jobs? Yeah. I mean, one thing to note is that attrition is very high. It's, it's higher than it's ever been before. Yes. And that's not just a U.S. phenomenon. This analysis was specific to the U.S., but but we do see this globally, pretty much across the board. Hmm. So, I mean, that was just a stark thing to note. So there's just so much turnover. Yes, uh, exactly. It's, it's pretty shocking. Yes. We have also seen the highest uh, number of employee turnover here in Denmark, where I'm sitting at the moment as well uh, last year. So it is definitely not a U.S. thing only. Yeah, for sure. I think that that element gets a little bit lost in, in some of the in some of the narrative here in the U.S. Yes. Um, because actually in the beginning of the U.S. Great Resignation, people talked a lot about that people quit because they were tired of poor wages. But 
I don't know if that is all uh, anymore. Uh, we also talk a lot about stress and burnouts and COVID clarity that people want to get more meaningful work and also these anti-work movements that people don't want to live for their work anymore. But uh, but can you say maybe a little bit more about the major reasons for people leaving their jobs? Yeah, so I think the the main reason is really just that there's a lot more worker power in the economy today. So first and foremost, that's primarily what's going on. It's it's a supply and demand mismatch. Um, so something like a labor shortage. And I think that that could be resulting for a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is that is that people left the workforce when COVID hit in March 2020 and um, and really haven't come back to the extent that they that they were in the workforce before. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I tend to to put higher weight toward um, the the reasons related to childcare. Um, it's very difficult for for um, for primary caretakers to to come back to to work full time. Um, with with there's a lot of uncertainty around you know schools being open and things like that. And that's that's been that's been universal and global. Um, these issues are just tricky issues, and it's it's you know been very difficult for people to come back to work. So. That's created a little bit of a shortage of uh, of workers, which has which has given workers more power. So so that's that's sort of the 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 broad economic phenomenon. But I think there are more more nuanced reasons also. Yes. So we did an analysis on the idea of hustle culture, the idea of people people having multiple jobs at once, and you know, like you said, there there is a movement toward. Um, toward not hustling quite as much. So hustle culture, I think, was in its peak around 2016. And, and you know, work was being glamorized. Um, and, you know, the, the idea of hustle was was a little bit, it was the cool thing. You know, it was, it was a glamorous um, attitude to have. And then, and then that started declining. The extent to which people had multiple jobs and side hustles, uh, that was decli- that started declining in like 2019. So pre-COVID, but I think that was already a trend which was which was happening. And then and then when when things got very weird, I think I think the idea of work became so central to everyone's to everyone's mindset. You know, people started thinking about work in ways that they really didn't have to before. I mean, this is such a unique and bizarre phenomenon. It's a unique recession. Um, you know, at least, at least in my lifetime, you know, there's never been a, a labor market shock. Um, you know, all the recessions that I remember were, you know, demand side shocks and, um, and I, I, yeah, I can't remember a supply side shock that was specifically around around labor markets. So it's it's pretty new, and um, yeah, I just think it's it's forced people to, you know, think more carefully about what they want to do and how they want to interact in the labor market. In your analysis, you also mention the top predictor of attrition is uh, what is called a toxic corporate culture. Can you give us an example of uh, what that is in more details? Yeah, so toxic cor- corporate culture is really about um, it's really about workers feeling disrespected at work. So, so 
you know, there's, there's some, it's, it's, it contains some, some elements of abuse. So when workers feel abused, you know, they, they have taken it for a while. Um, and some, some, when workers have, have low market power, they don't have as much of a choice, but now in this, in this new paradigm, workers do have a choice and any, any form of abuse and, you know, doesn't really have to be taken. And now that workers realize that they, that they can, um, that they have a lot of power to move, then, uh, those are the opportunities that those are the, the positions that they're leaving at the fastest rates. Yes. And what, what can an example of abuse be? Could it be long working hours or what, what else could it be? Uh, it could be long working hours, although I would think of that as being categorized usually slightly differently. Okay. Um, but usually long working hours for like poor reasons. I mean, I just heard an example of this company that criticized their employees in pretty harsh terms in front of everyone else. So, um, so that was, that was pretty jarring. Um, and it's, it's a pretty well-known company. Okay. I don't want to name names. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but it could, could it also be a, a question about diversity and inclusion that, that there's a lack of, or, or what could it be? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely could be. So I think, I think the diversity and inclusion question is more and more important, um, today. And that, that has in some ways been related to, um, to the great resignation. And in some ways it's just a trend that's running parallel, but I think to the extent that it's, um, you know, sometimes I think of diversity and inclusion as just, just good manners. So, you know, <laughs> like, like whenever I see, uh, diversity training seminars, some of them are just common sense. So, um, so I think, I think to the extent that, that diversity and inclusion reflects, um, people feeling like they're not treated well and not treated in an equal way, um, that can certainly be an important contributor to a toxic workplace. And and so the big question, how can employers actually step up to retain their employees and avoid attrition? Yeah. So I think there's a there's a few notable reasons. I think the toxic workplace uh, question, even though that's a big determinant, it's not like there's an obvious action item from that. You know, be less toxic. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of an obvious one. Yeah. Um, so so, but I, I think there there are some takeaways. You know, if if a manager is contributing to that sort of environment, you know, companies should have a lower tolerance for that sort of thing. I think too often we see. Um, you know, abusive managers um, basically being apologized for by their their directors, and that's really unacceptable. So, so that that's kind of the low hanging fruit. But that's always been the case, mm. and and that that's always there's always a good ROI on on um, on taking that very seriously. But I think we we looked into some some deeper treatments, and I think one one that stood out quite a lot is um, the idea of lateral career movements. Yes. So, yeah. So, so ba basically being able to move people around um, helps employees um, fulfill their careers. And, you know, a career is not just, you know, the jobs that you're good at. A career is, is some balance of exploration of the occupational landscape and exploitation once you find a job that you're good at. So especially for younger employees, um, being able to explore different areas, uh, different occupations, different functions um, can be really important for them. 
Yes. And an important step in in this lateral career opportunity could also maybe be investing in people's learning and development possibilities, I guess, uh, to prevent more resignations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's that's very related to this idea of of having people move around. Yes. Because, you know, when someone when someone moves, let's say let's say, you know, a an employee's been working somewhere for a year and they want to make a move. Some of that knowledge of some of the the things that they've learned in the past year are going to be a little bit wasted. So, there's a setback and, you know, making sure that that they can um reach that new opportunity is not easy. So so that's definitely going to take some training and development. And there there is a setback. I mean, I, I think I think we'd be deluding ourselves a little bit to think that this is a free and easy thing to do. Having people move within organizations is is not easy. There, there's a cost to it. But I think the benefit is is so great that it's something that companies really, really should be taking very seriously. Definitely. And I also saw in your analysis that other short-term steps could be investing more in the remote or hybrid workplace and creating more social events and more predictable schedules, right? Or is there anything to add to that as well? Yeah, I think so. So, so those are you know, remote work is, of course, is is a is a huge issue, and I think the verdict's still out on how on how employees feel about it. But it yes. seems it seems inevitable that that some some elements of that are here to stay so so figuring out what what is the best lever to retain employees i think is very important but other than that you know other than what shows up in this article there's another there's another thing i want to i want to reference this is this is based on some previous research we did kind of a precursor to um to the research that you're referencing that we did with with glassdoor yes and we we found something pretty interesting so we looked at Um, when people leave, uh, their ratings on a few different dimensions of their work and what those ratings were in their next organization or their previous one. So, so let's say, you know, you're at a company with, um, with bad work-life balance. Mm. The next company that you go to, is that going to have extra good work-life balance or is it also going to be bad? Um, you know, let's say culture and values, you know, if you're, if you're in a job with great culture and values, is your next position something also with great culture and values, or are you going to kind of underrate that? And what we found was that, um, how someone scores, um, how company scores in one facet of their, of their ratings, like culture and values, work-life balance, things like that. Um, the next company is going to be positively associated with that rating. So basically what that means is that people who don't care that much about work-life balance are also in the future not going to care all that much. People who care a lot about benefits are also going to care a lot about benefits in their next role. So so I personally found that a little bit counterintuitive in the beginning. I thought, you know, if if, uh, if someone's leaving a company where they're where they're bad in some dimension, Surely they're going to want to overcompensate in their next role, but that's the opposite of what happens. Um, people really uh, go to jobs that are similar to to those that they uh, that they were in before. That's very interesting. Yeah, and I think the the takeaway there is that people really do have different preferences for work culture. So so you know some people just just really don't care about some elements that others do care about. So I think the 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 counterintuitive recommendation here 
is that rather than uh, rather than trying to make a well-rounded uh, workplace where you know companies are really good in every dimension, maybe try to make a more specialized workplace where companies are strong in areas where they're already strong, and then attract people who who want to sort for that for that type of and want to be part of that work culture. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if um, if you're, let's say, a big bank and work-life balance is really bad, maybe that's okay. Maybe you just, you know, can attract people who don't care that much about work-life balance, um, people who don't mind working 80-hour weeks. Um, it's it's not it's not so bad to have, uh, you know, different different elements of culture across different types of companies. And the more different companies are, the more the more. Uh, the more fit we can we can have in our economy as as people and companies gravitate to uh, the type of work that matches them. So this would actually be a more long-term step to increase retention, in, in your opinion? I think so. I think so. Yeah, because these things only matter insofar as they're recognized by the market. So it is a longer-term investment. All right. Great. That's all we have time for, Ben. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. It definitely was. My name is Sissel K. Nørgaard, and this episode was brought to you by Learning Bank, your next generation learning platform built for today's workforce. Stay tuned for our next episode about climbing the modern career ladder and whether it's necessarily vertical. Thanks for listening.